you'd like to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at primarily verses 5 and 6. By the way, just to let you know, next week we're going to be bringing on some members, new members, and so that's always exciting as well. It's, it's just great to see people making the move towards baptism, and then again, connection with our church, which is membership. As we look at Galatians 5, and again, last couple of weeks we've been looking at verses 1 to 4, what Paul is doing basically from verses 1 to 6, well, including verses up to 12, but really 1 to 6, is he's summarizing what he's been saying throughout this letter, and that is that we are justified, that we are made righteous before a holy God by faith alone. Okay, And that's what he's doing. He's summarizing. In fact, a couple weeks ago I told you, you can break the book of Galatians up into some very neat segments. You can look at the first part as a personal appeal from Paul, chapters 1 and 2. The second part is doctrinal, where he really zeroes in on justification by faith alone. Chapter 5 and 6, really he's, he's going to be zeroing in on application. How does it play out in the life? But before he does that, he transitions. See, he's taken a, a uh, very careful transition from chapters 3 and 4 about justification by faith alone to by the time he gets to verse 13, now he's into completely practical stuff. So this is like a transition part of uh, in chapter 5. He's still summarizing justification by faith alone. He's looking back and saying the law can't do it. And, and you might be saying, well, man, he just keeps going over it. Or, John, you keep pulling out justification by faith. Well, maybe he's not even the text. He just wanted to keep talking about that. Yeah, you know, I think of my wife. Uh, Sola, as you know, for many years have, have, uh, have uh, painted paintings. Okay, she's a painter. And uh, we have, by the way, when you're married to a painter, you have a lot of paintings in your house. That's just how it is. And then she sells them and stuff like that. But I, I, I assume that Sola never gets tired of me looking at a painting and saying, boy, that, that's a good job of my kid that you did, you know, one of my boys or one of my girls. Or, or that's a really great picture you did of that field. Or she has this one picture she's painted a number of times of this, these two, two little kids, like, walking this way so you don't see their face, like, into the sunset type of thing. I, I don't think she ever gets tired of me praising her for ability to paint. I think the same thing goes for God. The Lord never gets tired of us looking back at justification by faith. All that he did, if you think about salvation, from before the foundation of the world, he chose. Christ appointed to die for our sins. The Holy Spirit's part in drawing us to himself. The Trinity keeping us saved. If we saved ourselves, we could lose salvation. It's the Trinity's work in your life that if you have put your faith in Christ, there will be a day when he completes that, right? Jesus Christ, God the Father, Holy Spirit, never gets tired of, of us talking about, studying about justification by faith alone, the plan of redemption, the plan where sinners can be forgiven and made sons of God, home is heaven, um, goal is eternity, right? Home in heaven. That's where our names are written, by the way. So again, that's, I think, why Paul just keeps going back, and that's why we keep going back. Now again, let's look at verses 1 to 4 very quickly. He's answering basically two questions in uh, verses 1 to 6. The, the first question he's answering is found in uh, verses 1 to 4, and that is, why is working for your salvation fatal? 
Why is working for your salvation fatal? Why is it that if a person says, you know, and I'm not going to receive the grace of God, I'm not going to receive the sacrifice of Christ, I'm going to earn my salvation. I'm going to work for it. I'm going to do the law. Well, he answers that question in verses 2 to 4. He says, if you do that, I'm just going to pick out pieces of these verses. If you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. That's the first reason why if you try to work for your salvation, it's fatal. Because if you try to do anything but receive Jesus Christ for, your sacri- for the sacrifice of your sin, payment of your sin, if you don't receive Him as your substitute, and if you try to add something to your salvation, some part of merit, then Christ will profit you nothing. And then he goes on, look at verse 3. Who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. I mean, if you do that, you're going to be a debtor to keep the entire law. You can't just say, well, I'm going to earn a little bit of it. No, no, if, if you reject Christ, then you have to keep the entire law, the Old Testament law, which is 613 commands, plus all the moral law. It's impossible. Not only that, look at verse 4. And then you'll become estranged from Christ. You have fallen from grace. And again, as we looked at last week, we are secure in Jesus Christ because it was all of grace. We received it. The channel was faith. We believed. We trusted. We relied upon Jesus Christ. And because we did that, we are secure in Him. We didn't earn it, so we can't unearn it. We didn't work for it, so we can't unwork for it. By the way, the same salvation that we have is what the Old Testament saints had. Except, I mean, there were some differences, but the reality is they were looking towards the cross and we're looking back to the cross. It's Jesus Christ who saves. It's not like the Old Testament, you earned your salvation. New Testament, you received Christ. Yes, they did certain things to show that their faith was true. Their faith worked in the Old Testament, but as we'll see this morning... New Testament faith is a working faith as well. We're called not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but to follow him. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, what? Deny yourself, what? Take up your cross and follow me. Sometimes we forget about the following. Go, therefore, into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, what? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What? Teaching them to observe some of the things that I've told you. All... That's obedience right there. We forget that we we follow Christ because He's Savior. But you know, in the New Testament, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Kyrios, appears 747 times. By the way, that's an easy way to remember how many times Lord appears in the New Testament. 747. Think of the airplane. 747. 747. See, a huge amount of times Jesus is referred to as Lord. A few times He's referred to as Savior. But the emphasis when it comes to Christ is, I am the Lord, he says. You follow me. That's what it means to trust him and have faith in him. Yes, I will follow Christ. Yes, he is the Savior. He's the only Savior. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, if you have life, true eternal life, it's his life. What does Colossians say? We're hidden in Christ, right, hidden with Christ in God. It's his life that flows through you. But again, his life flows through us, but through us, but we follow him as Lord. By the way, that answers, I mean, that brings up a question. And, um, you know, as we've gone through this, these are some hard verses. These are some of the hardest verses in Scripture, by the way. 
I think, for interpretation purposes. And let me just give you a practical side. What should you do when you come across a hard passage of Scripture? And just very quickly, because I want to get to the other part of the message. But let me say this. First of all, I would say this. Bring all, you can fill that in, all the relevant facts to light rather than suppress one passage over another. Don't be afraid of Scripture. (laughs) Suppress, sometimes people say, oh, I don't really want to study that because it just seems too unnerving. Let's remember that the entire 66 books were written by one God, right? The Holy Spirit inspired men, different men, what, 40 authors, but it was the Holy Spirit that inspired them. We don't have to suppress one passage. We just have to bring it all together. Well, you'll see what I mean as we look at the next two. And then you compare Scripture with Scripture. So again, the Bible is the master. We are not. We're going to bring everything on the table that we know. And by the way, we're finite in our thinking. And then Scripture is its own best and only infallible interpreter. We need to put Scripture by beside of Scripture. And again, as we do these passages that seem contradictory, may actually agree. You may find that, oh, wait, I thought something that was totally contradictory. Now I actually understand. I got more inform- information that agrees. Or we may find that we are teaching the same truth, but in a different way, and they might complement each other that way. So again, we don't want to suppress one passage or a a part of the Bible or maybe even a whole book. I know at one time the Song of Solomon was suppressed. Well, it couldn't certainly be about human love. No, it's about human love. (laughs) Don't suppress it. Exegete it. Maybe in the right context. You've got to have the right group. But don't, don't suppress it. But again, all relevant facts, Scripture with Scripture. And then third, if necessary, suspend judgment. What if you can't make the facts agree or complement each other? What if they seem to contradict? I would say this, wait till the Lord gives further light. Pride would say, I have the ability to know all truth now. Sometimes I think we try to do that. Sometimes it's best, you know, and I've had to learn to say that. You know, let's face it, I'm the pastor. I know all. At least I sometimes think that. You know, I have to give an answer. No, sometimes it's best for John Prince just to be quiet and just say, you know what? I don't know what he's talking about exactly in that particular passage. So again, let's be quick. Let's be quicker to not say a, a, um, uh, an interpretation if we're really not absolutely sure. Again, I am not saying to back down on interpretation, proclamation. All I'm saying is sometimes you come to difficult passages and the humble thing would be is to say, you know what, I need to think about this. I need to pray. I need to compare Scripture with Scripture. I'll get back with you. And I think we all need to do that. Sometimes, by the way, even with my own kids, they'll ask a question and I have a tendency to think, oh, I've got to say it right now. I've got to give them the interpretation. And sometimes I've had to, no, let me just think about that for a little bit. They come up, by the way, kids come up with some Fabulous questions, phenomenal questions. Uh, actually, over the years, some of my best questions asked to me have been my kids. Because they're, I guess, maybe brave enough just to blurt something out, you know? And it's like, let me think about that. So again, verses 1 to 4. <coughs> Why is working for your salvation fatal? Bottom line is this, because when you do, you've eliminated Christ and his sacrifice. But number two, the next second question is found in verses... Five and six, and the question is this: What is the truth about true faith? 
He's, he's now looking, he's turning the corner, he's saying, now, okay, I've been talking to you a lot about you Galatians and the problem that you're having with the Judaizers, the false teachers, and that you are thinking about moving away from justification by faith. But let me, basically this, let me summarize once again and tell you what the true truth, true truth of the faith looks like. What does true faith look like? Again, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Notice the difference in the pronoun. He goes from you, like in verse 4, to we. That's very important. He's, he's, making a, he's saying, now you, because I don't know where you're standing with Christ. By the way, whenever you're talking to Christian, I mean, when you're talking to a person that has professed Christ, what do you do? You talk to them as a Christian unless something they're doing shows something different and maybe that they're not a true believer. So up to this point, Paul is speaking to them. Now he's saying he's adding himself, right? For we, which means he's, he now is zeroing in. Now this is what a true believer thinks like. Not sure where you stand, but this is what we, this is... This is truth. This is what a true believer... If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, this is what's happened to you. For we, through the, through the Spirit, eagerly wait. Well, the first thing is this. And again, he's answering this question. What is the truth about true faith? The first truth is this. True justifying faith is given. Given. Again. For we, through the Spirit... And when he, when he says that word through, I think he's looking back. He's looking back to catch this, electing grace for you, for we, excuse me, for we through the Spirit. But what we have, the life that we have in Jesus Christ, saving faith is through the Spirit. We didn't, again, we didn't even pursue God. It says no man seeks after God. God sought after us. So he's looking at electing grace. That God called us. And if you think about the Spirit of God, what He did for you to bring you to Christ, He he convicted your heart, He opened your eyes, He brought you from death to life so that you could hear. He drew you. In fact, even keeps you. It's the Spirit of God that did all that in your life. Again, we were dead men. We were spiritually dead. If you can picture yourself, a person before they receive Jesus Christ is like a person in a coffin. There's nothing you could do for that person to, to bring him back. And when you are spiritually dead, there is nothing that you could do in and of yourself. But the Spirit of, of God came and, and brought you to life so that you could believe. So again, it's all of Christ. It's all of Him. He's mentioned the Spirit of God. If you go to chapter 3, remember He says, just for a second, keep your hand in chapter 5, but uh, look at chapter 3. He mentioned the Spirit at the very beginning of this doctrinal part of the book. Look at verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? By the way, the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit, He woos you, enlightens you, brings you to faith so that you can believe, and then He is given to you because of your faith, and you are sealed with the Spirit of God. Uh, you are 
indwelt by the Spirit of God. John 14 tells us that He will be indwelt forever. So really, the Spirit of God is both before and after your salvation. He is working. But, but Paul says, how did you get the Spirit? Did you get it because of working? No, no, by faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Look at verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He just keeps going back. How did you get the Spirit? Well, you got, it. You got the Spirit of God in your life because actually it was the Spirit of God that wooed you and moved you and, and, and uh, enlightened you and made you alive. And, and then after you received Christ, he indwelt you. No, it's all about faith. The great thing is, he's going to be talking a lot about the Spirit of God. If, you, if you're in uh, chapter 5, look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit. You not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Not work, walk. Some of us are trying to work. By the way, some of us are, are believers who are trying to work. And we are to work, but we are to work as we walk. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If any man is over... Look at chapter 6, verse 1. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... You know, when he uses that word spiritual, and we're going to be there in a few weeks, months, whatever. But the point is, is what makes a man spiritual? What makes you spiritual? I mean, it's a good question to ask. You're spiritual when you walk with, with the Spirit. Right? You're mature... As a Christian, when you walk with the Spirit long term. See, you're not spiritual because you get into the Bible and have devotions. It's because the Spirit of God is in you. Now again, you should be in the Bible having devotions. You should be worshiping God. You should be praying to God. But all those mechanical things can help your spiritual walk because it, it, it focuses you in on what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. But again, if you're spiritual, it's because you're walking with the Spirit. Do you see the difference there? Sometimes we try to think that, well, we can do some of these things to be spiritual. No, no, we're spiritual when we walk with the Spirit. By the way, we're fleshly when we're not. That's why he says in chapter, well, verse 16, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Maybe Maybe you're fleshly right now. I mean, you're saved but you're not walking in the Spirit. You're fleshly. You're thinking fleshly thoughts. You're thinking earthly thoughts. By the way, if you are in that point, maybe you had a real rough morning. (laughs) Sometimes Sundays. You ever have a Sunday, you know, like you're arguing with your wife, kicking the dog. Hey, I'm here. Let's praise God. (laughs) You know what you need to do? Confess to Him. You You can be spiritual that quick. Walk in the Spirit. Okay? So again, the first thing about true justifying faith is it is given. The second thing, look at this. True justifying faith waits. Waits. Look at this uh, second part of verse. Eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Again, we're supposed to wait, not work. Again, I'm not discounting work. The next point, you're going to see that oh, the, the, the Christian ought to be producing fruit. But, the, but the, what Paul is trying to get at here is, listen, if you're truly saved, first of all, it was given by the Spirit, elected by God. You're elected by God Himself. And the second thing is, is that true faith waits. He waits for the hope 
By the way, that hope there is the certainty. You know, in, Amer- uh, in, um, in human terms, we hope. Boy, I, man, I hope I get it. I, I hope I get it, this present for Christmas. You know, like kids are saying, I hope, I hope. But hope in the Scripture is absolute certainty. Because again, our faith is in Christ. Absolute certainty. So again, we're, we're, we're called to wait. We're called to wait. Uh, notice, and I want you to see this, that justification is not something we work for, it is something we wait for. And the justification there, because that's what he's saying here, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That righteousness he's referring to is that we're justified. That concept just I shouldn't say we're justified, concept of justified, be, being declared righteous, Okay? Being declared righteous. So we're, we're waiting for that righteousness. We're waiting for that justification. Well, what do you mean? I thought, I thought the moment you received Jesus Christ, you were, you were declared righteous. You were justified. What do you mean ho- hoping? I thought you already were. I do want to say this. Believers already possess the imputed righteousness of Christ. But we are waiting for the perfect, completed righteousness yet to come at glorification. That's the hope he's talking about. Yes, you are declared righteous, but some of you still are ornery. (laughs) And you have sinful thoughts. Even in devotions and prayer, your mind will wander even sometimes into sinfulness. Isn't that frustrating? A couple weeks ago, I I was uh, uh, speaking on prayer. And I I made a commitment. I mean, when I preach, I, I just want you to know, more conviction comes to me than probably ever will come to you. Okay? And I just determined, I'm going to pray. I mean, I was praying, but it was... And I'll tell you what, what a blessing. But you know what? It's hard. I still have this flesh thing. You know, it's like sometimes I look... You know, sometimes I'm praying along, and then I want to look at the clock. How long has it been? You know, oh, yeah, I want to cut that wood today. You know, I land. Yeah, I wonder what one of my sons... I wonder if he took my car or his car. You know, it's crazy. All right, so that's what he's saying. Listen, uh, eagerly, we eagerly, this is eagerly, really intense. You know, some of you kids are really eagerly waiting for Christmas and Thanksgiving. This ain't going to be great. Actually, the church is closed Thursday and Friday. So don't call the church Thursday and Friday. We're not going to be here. And I'm eagerly waiting. That's going to be a good rest. It's going to be great. Okay, I'm eagerly waiting for that. But nothing like eagerly waiting for, for the hope of righteousness. Man, someday we're going to be glorified. Right? Romans 8 Verse 23 says, not only that, talking about uh, all that's going to happen for us, and, and you can just listen if you want, uh, but Romans 8.23, not only that, but also, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now he says, and he brings out a couple of things here. He first of all says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And I think he's referring to the, the, literally the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, temperance, whatever. I missed one. Anyway, bottom line is this. We have the first fruits. You know, we are growing in our love. We are growing in our joy. We are growing in our peace. By the way, are you growing? By the way, you, you only know if you grow if, if you've been tested. If everything's perfect, you don't know if you have peace. It's when you have, you know, God throws some little things in your life. Sometimes you feel some big things. Sometimes you feel like you're overwhelmed. 
But the reality is, you'll know if you're growing if during those times you, you say, you know, I have peace that I never thought I could have in this situation, right? Um, so, but all he's saying in Romans is, you have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's just like the first, that's like the first two tablespoons. Uh, the big dinner's coming. <laughs> Even we ourselves groan, probably that reason he uses the word groan within ourselves is, you know, that sin. You know, I, I see the first fruits, I see me, I see how I'm growing but I groan because I know I'm still weighed down with sin at times. You know, it's frustrating. I feel so high at times and then so low. Where did that thought come from? Where did that word come out of my mouth? I, I haven't said that in 10 years. Or at least I didn't say it, but I thought it. So we groan, eagerly waiting for the adoption. The adoption there, again, if you are saved, you have been adopted. You've been brought into the family. We really saw that, right? We saw sonship and being an heir. But you know, you don't have your full adoption yet. It's like knowing, because the full adoption comes when you get your final inheritance. It's like being brought into a family. And sure, oh, you're brought into the family. So and I like watching British films. A lot of times in British films, you see uh, actors and actresses in a period of time when, you know, they might even have adopted a child and they come in and now this adopted child, you know, they can sit at the father's table, this guy who had adopted him, and he can call him father, and, uh, you know, all the blessings. He gets his own room. He used to be in an orphanage, and now he gets his own room. And now he has good food to eat instead of just scraps. But he knows there's a day coming when this adopted father is going to pass off the scene, and he is going to become the Lord of this house. We were just watching an episode that last yesterday. Someday he is going to get the full inheritance of all that that adoption meant. That's what he saw in Romans 8. Oh, yeah, you've got... You've got teaspoons and tablespoons and maybe even platefuls, but there's coming a day when your adoption is going to be completed and all the inheritance, all the blessings in Christ will be yours. Fully realized, right? So wouldn't you want to wait eagerly for that? Right? Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And I think he throws in redemption of our body because, again, when the, when the, when the body finally is redeemed, glorified, then we don't have to groan any longer. Sin is no longer part. Right? That, that's the final. The, body's re, the body is glorified. Everything else has been taken care of. You no longer have the flesh. You no longer have the sinful, um, the old sin principle hanging around, trying to stump you up and all that. That's why Philippians 3 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly, he used that word eagerly again, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because when he comes back, we'll be like him. So if you want to look these up, Romans 8.23, Philippians 3.20. I mean, let's face it, it's there, it's in heaven. That's our home. This is not our home. Our citizenship is there. We're just pilgrims, aliens. You get a little bit tired when people treat you like an alien? Like you're different, you're weird. You got different standards. What do you mean you go to church every week? What do you mean you're committed to people? Why would you want to pray? You know, well, because they don't understand. They're in darkness still. Hey, we pray that they will be enlightened, right? We pray that God will open their eyes. By the way, I would encourage you to give out invitations to our Christmas program. The main purpose is to give out the gospel. By the way, let me say something about this. We give out the gospel. Can I convert a soul? No, but you can give out a clear gospel. But, but if, if a person is converted... By the way, can I get a false profession? Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. But the thing is, you can't convert somebody. Only the Spirit of God can do that. 
But again, what is our job? Bring, help them, un- explain, pray for, give out a clear gospel. I mean, there's a lot of things that we need to do. So anyways, true justifying faith waits. In other words, true justifying faith is not focused on the now. It's focused on the future, where our home is, where our Father is, where our Savior is, where other believers are, where our name is written, where our inheritance is. That's why we eagerly wait. And then finally, Paul finishes up and says that true justifying faith works. Now again, I've been saying a lot about faith, not works. You know, I mean, I've been, I've been harping on this all for months. That if you're saved, you're saved because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But now Paul wants to wrap up this, and this is his transition. See, now he's getting to the practical side of Christianity. And he says, listen, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, uh, uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Faith, that's the justifying faith. Working energy putting towards through love. See, one of the major objections to justification by faith alone is the emphasis it places on works. People will say this, well, if you're saved by faith alone, they're going to they're live like the world. They're not going to want to do anything. They're going to be slothful and sinful, and they're just going to say, hey, but I'm saved. But Paul answers, no, 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 no. True justifying faith, true faith that transforms you and makes you alive and powered by the Spirit of God who indwells you is going to be a working faith. There's going to be fruit. So again, Paul closes this section by making the point that justifying faith actually works. It does something. It's not just an intellectual conviction. And this is where in our society, there's so much easy believism. People just say, well, believe in Jesus. Well, I'll believe in Jesus. You know, hey, I have time. What do I got? Oh, yeah, hurry up, though. Well, no, 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 no. When we believe and put our faith in Christ, he becomes, again, remember that 747? 747 times. Jesus is referred to as Lord. We, we receive him as Lord. He's our master. We have a new master. We have, we have a new father. We have a new kingdom that we're living for. So again, it's faith working through love. By the way, love doesn't produce the faith. There's some, like Roman Catholicism maintains that faith is formed by love. Faith is formed by love. So that love becomes part of faith. No, no, faith is faith. Love is love. <laughs> but true faith is a working faith through love. I hope you get that. Because again, love is the motivator. Love is the motivator. So true faith is an expressive faith. It's willing to share. It's willing to proclaim. That's what the, the, the baptism... You had three people who were proclaiming, expressing their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you get a person that says, I don't want to be baptized. In fact, I don't want to say anything about Christ. Yeah, I'm saved. I'm glad for that. You know, I can, you know, I have to, you know, check that one off. I don't fire insurance, but I don't want to follow him. No, no. True faith is an expressive faith. It's a sacrificial faith. It's it's willing to um, obey, right? It's willing to obey. John MacArthur said this: Their working is the product of their faith, not a substitute for it. They do not work for righteousness. That's slave religion. 
working for righteousness, but out of righteousness through the motivating power of, of love. So not, not for righteousness. We, I don't work for righteousness. I work out of righteousness because I have been made righteous, justified. I want to do those things. They push me. I, by the way, I want to serve you. That's not, that's not natural. Just like for you, right? I think of how many of you are serving and ministering and, and you do it with a joyful attitude. Why is that? Oh, you're just good people. No, it's because Jesus Christ saved you, gave you his life. You want to serve. Don't you want to serve? So again, it's kind of like an apple tree. How many of you like apples? I love apples. Anyways, by the way, you should eat two apples a day. I'm on a health kick at the moment. <laughs> Next week, I'll be talking about the brownies with the, you know, the mint chocolate. Anyway. But anyways, an apple tree does not produce apples to become an apple tree. An apple tree produces apples because it is an apple tree. What does that got to do? Well, do you see this? Can I, I hope you see the connection. I thought that was a pretty good illustration. <laughs> you don't do works of righteousness to become a Christian. It's because you are a Christian. The Spirit of God is in you and powering you. And in fact, that's what he says in Ephesians. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. That's the purpose. That's why in James, and we won't have time here to turn. I, I'm out of time almost. Time almost. But can a person be saved and have no fruit? No. James 2 says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if a, if a man says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? And it's a rhetorical no. You say you get saved? And no works, no fruit, no following, no obeying, no following him? No, that's not saving faith. The, the person says he has faith. He thinks he has true faith. He's proclaimed faith. But James says that's a dead faith. In fact, verse 26 says faith without works is dead. Faith faith without works, if there's nothing beyond that, it's just a profession. It's false. You've got to be careful about that as we share because we want to make sure that we don't lead people into easy believism and just, you know, just believe. I guess the best way to say to a person is, listen, Jesus said this, and I've, I've quoted this a couple of times, right? deny yourself, say no to all your righteousness and even no to your sin. Take up your cross. That means, in other words, what did a cross mean? Death to self, sacrifice, and follow me. That's what Jesus said. That's, that is really a salvation passage. You want to follow Christ? Follow him. Not just about believing. I mean, it is believing, but believing faith is following faith. Believing faith is working faith. So he ends by saying, but faith working through love, through love. A person who lives by faith works under the internal compulsion of love and does not need the outward compulsion of the law. That's why he's actually bringing up. That's the context here. He's been talking about the law and he's saying, listen, true faith has a compulsion, a drive out of love. It doesn't have to have the law there beaten it and you say, oh, you must serve, you must love. You know, remember in the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. No, it doesn't do it. The law can't change the heart. But true faith, true justifying faith does. All of a sudden, you've got a different heart. I want to love. What is love? Sacrifice, service. I want to love God. I want to love others. That's, that's the love, you know, through love. 
In fact, write this down. Look at it later. It's really interesting because when I studied 1 John years ago, I always thought, this is interesting how he goes from obedience to love. But in 1 John 2, he says this. Now by this we know, 1 John 2, 3. Again, you can look it up later or whatever. But now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And the word keep is in the present tense, which means continually. Not perfectly, but continually. In other words, there's obedience and then maybe a falter in obedience because we are sinful and First John says if we confess our sins. So he's already admitted, John already admits, hey, we're sinners, we need to confess and forgive. But here he's saying, listen, the characteristic of a believer is that he follows Christ. So he says, by this we know that we know him. In other words, I know that I'm a true believer if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him, here's a profession, He says, and does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. He's not a true believer. He might say he is, but he's not. But whoever keeps his word... Look at this next part. Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. And I always thought, that's such an odd... Why did he bring up the love of God all of a sudden? I mean, he's talking about obedience. Well, because when you have the truth, and you have true faith, that faith will be working through love. There will be love in your heart because it's God's love. Think about God. God God sacrificed his own son on the cross so that we might be forgiven. That's, That's action there, right? And that's the same type of love that he puts in your heart for others. There was a story of a a girl from New England back during the Civil War. And her heart was given to a man. And she loved this man. Unfortunately, the Civil War was coming on, and and before too long, they had made vows to each other as far as someday we will get married. But then the Civil War came, and he was brought into the army, conscripted in. And he had to go fight. And they never got married because they said, listen, after the war, we will be married. What ended up that he got injured very badly in the Battle of the Wilderness. And he was recovering, and he recovered enough. And then he went to another battle. And I mean, every day, you know, can you imagine this girl? She's re-reading and re-reading the letters that he had sent. And by the way, back then you can't email, right? Civil War, only a handful of letters. But his, her heart is moved towards him. And so he's, she's reading and rewriting. Finally, but the, the letter stopped. Didn't know why. Finally, she received another one. But it was written in an unfamiliar handwriting. It read, quote, There has been a terrible battle. It is very difficult for me to tell you this, but I have lost both arms. I cannot write myself. I cannot write myself. So a friend is writing this letter for me. While you are very, very dear to me, I feel I should release you from the obligation of our engagement. You know what she did? Got on the next train. Went to see her beloved tracked him down to the hospital where he was. And she said this, I will never give you up, she cried. These hands of mine will help you. I will take care of you. That's love, right? Her heart was moved. To believe is to place one's personal confidence in Christ, who loves us and gave himself for us. Therefore, since Christians have learned love in such a measure and at such a source, faith must issue in genuine self-denying love for God and others. It's because Christ has died for us. 
God has shown his love towards us. The Spirit of God has drawn us through love. He's placed love within his, uh, in our heart. Now we want to love, right? That's true faith. Now I want to love. Could you have stopped that girl from loving that guy? No, because it was in her heart. That's really all Paul is saying. Listen, when you get saved, it's not from the outside. It's not external. It's a faith in Christ. Your heart has been changed. Love will pour out. If it's true faith, it's going to be working through love. It has to be that way. So evaluate your life. Have you put your faith and, Christ, faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are you truly a believer? Have you recognized your need that your sin condemned you for, before God and that Christ paid for your sin? Jesus Christ, now catch this, paid is the substitute for your sin. Have you, faith, have you put your faith and trust in him? And if you have, is that love being poured out? Now, sometimes we suppress it. Sometimes we get angry and bitter and people didn't treat me right. Wait, we need to go back to the cross. Look at all that Jesus Christ did for us. That, that's what really loosens up the heart. As you meditate on the gospel, the good news, it, 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 it rids us of anger and bitterness and frustrations and hurt and all the things that this world can do. The gospel itself can do that. And it, and it loosens up that heart that is potentially overflowing with love, but sometimes those sins just kind of hamper. And we need to go back to the cross and all that Jesus Christ did for us as believers so that we can see, oh, there might be a little bit of love pouring out, but he wants to break that and open that up so there's a whole lot of love, right? I trust that that's how it's in your life. If not, again, what do we do if we confess our sins? If you find yourself angry and bitter, if you find yourself disappointed, discontent, oh, why me? If only, if only. Have you ever? Now, wait a second here. It's Jesus Christ coming so that you could be one of his children. And we eagerly wait for the hope. Everything, that's, everything that we are ultimately going to have is up there, except for the fact of bringing people with us, right? Everything else is there. That's our home. So again, I'd encourage you to ask God to evaluate your heart and then really listen. Go back to the gospel because he can purify and cleanse and renew. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. I thank you that you saved Eric and Tina, Kelly, and each one of us that's here. And Lord, now we we want to walk in newness of life. It's a struggle at times. The world throws a lot at us. Sometimes the hurts even come from other Christians. But Lord, help us to refocus on the cross. Help us to refocus on all that you have done for us and your love that has been poured out to us and upon our hearts. Lord, fill us, and I pray that that love would overflow to others, that we would manifest our love for you and others by what we say and what we do and even what we think. Again, Lord, we constantly need renewal. Drive us back into the word of God that will cleanse us and empower us. Again, we thank you for all these things in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.